Welcome to Artful Aging with your host, Amy. Are you a senior or a caregiver of a senior looking for support and direction? Best-selling author, educator, and expert in senior living, Amy Friesen is here with the help you need while providing you with an important and valuable support network. So now, please welcome the host of Artful Aging, Amy Friesen. Good morning, everyone. I'm Amy Friesen, and this is Artful Aging with Amy. We're live from Bull Brave TV. As many of you have seen, there were a lot of divorces during COVID. And as someone who has gone through a divorce, I know that most aren't pretty. But what if you're a senior and want to continue your life without your significant other? There have been a, there's been a rise in what has been coined gray divorce. Forbes cites the one re- that one of the reasons for divorce over 50 is that with 50% of the people in midlife today looking to live past 85, the prospect of putting up with someone for an additional 30 plus years has become less palatable. My first guest is Tanya Parker Wallace. She is an accredited mediator and a collaborative family lawyer. Tanya's spouses and parents increasingly use meditation or meditation, mediation, probably a little meditation as well. I knew I was going to do that. <laughs> mediation um, as a to resolve their family law disputes as they are generally faster, less expensive, and results are more creative, uh, more creative solutions for the family than litigation. Welcome, Tanya. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Amy. I knew I was going to say meditation because I was focusing on it. <laughs> you know what? It's a common thing. It happens all the time. I have to spell check really carefully. So I've done that a couple of times now. Oh, dear. Well, maybe we could start, Tanya, by talking about the rise in grade divorce. What are you seeing with your clients? Um, well, just in terms of actually, if we could just go back to sort of what gray divorce means, um, sure. the meaning of it has shifted somewhat because okay. what it used to mean was people getting divorced after being married for 30, 35, 40 years. Um, but now we commonly use the term to mean um, what happens when older adults are getting divorced, uh, the baby boomer generation, no matter how long they've been married. Um, because at that age, the circumstances are more complicated. Um, there's there's definitely a rise, um, I, like you said. Uh, they don't keep stats in Canada, but um, certainly anecdotally, many family lawyers um, are seeing a rise in the number of mature folks who are getting divorced. Um, the reason why that might occur, I think, is is it's pretty common for people to simply just drift apart um, once they become empty nesters. Um, there's much less stigma around the idea of divorce now, whether, you know, whether that's good or bad, um, there's less shame around it and people are feeling much more comfortable with the idea of divorcing. Um, and people are also living longer. Uh, there's a life expectancy in Canada. It's increased about 20 years for both men and women. And there's more time to start new adventures and find happiness if someone's not experiencing that in their current relationship. As someone who has been recently, or not recently anymore, has previously been divorced, I can tell you the thought of spending that extra time of my life, that was something that crossed my mind. It's like, do I want to spend 50, 60 years with this person? No, not really. Let's get let's, let's get done with this. So I can yeah. see that more and more people are kind of going towards that as the age uh, is rising. 
that mm-hmm. is, you know, you know, there's lots of people picking up new hobbies and picking up new things that they want to do and growing apart that way. So I can definitely see that happening more often. Yeah. What are the complications for a divorce of this type? Uh, sorry, did you say complications? I think it. Yeah. What are the complications for divorces of this type? Uh, the main complications are financial based and property based. Um, in Ontario, married couples are expected to equally split whatever they've accumulated together during their marriage. And so what this might look like on a, in a practical sense will differ from couple to couple. But on paper, mathematically, what we're doing is we're actually equalizing uh, people's net value. And so when you're looking at older couples or people who have been in a long-term marriage, um, particularly if a couple is wealthy, there's so many more assets and debts that have to be sorted through and divided. Um, Record keeping is a challenge. Uh, It would be difficult for anyone to remember what they owned 25 years ago, what kind of car you drove, what was in your bank account. Uh, So record keeping is a challenge. Um, The sorting out of who owns what sometimes is difficult as the years go by. Um, The second complication is that there are usually other considerations at play. So perhaps this is uh, someone's second marriage and maybe there are some kids who are still in university from a previous relationship that are still being supported. Maybe someone is providing support, uh, financial support to a former spouse. Um, And so there's, that means that there's much less ability for uh, someone to provide for a subsequent spouse uh, or family in that separation. So there just may not be as many assets to go around. Um, And I think the last major complication is just figuring out how two people are now going to move into retirement um, with uh, after splitting their wealth in half. The dollars don't stretch as far in two households as they would have in one. So it's really key to have um, strong financial planning in place. For sure. I can see that happening, too, when you're counting on you know, the the dual income or the dual pension or the dual whatever, the savings, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's it's a little bit of a trade-off for your freedom, right? Like, it's like, that's what I had to look at too when I got divorced, right? It's like, it's like your freedom is super important. So if that's, if that is what you want to do and that is, you know, what's fueling you, then kind of you have to get your head down and just get through it, right? And then try to sort things out the best you can because a lot of people, kind of get stuck in that wheel of, well, I shouldn't because of this or I shouldn't because of that, but really their heart's not in it anymore. And that to me is, is just as devastating. It's devastating mentally and different things like that. Right. So yes, it could be complicated, but that, you know, would you agree that that's not a reason not to look at it? If you're, you know, if you're wanting to leave, um, it's just more of a reason to, you know, talk to professionals, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Exactly. Um, Talking to professionals is key. Um, Many different kinds of professionals uh, have to be involved. Uh, I would think it's good to have um, lawyers involved to do some um, planning on uh, like a prenuptial agreement or a cohabitation agreement. It's important to have a financial planner in place. Uh, It's important to make sure that your estate plan lines up with whatever your goals are for retirement. And you have to consider what might happen in the event of a separation or a death. Yeah, for sure. Tanya, what are some of the misconceptions uh, about getting divorced later in life? Uh, I would say that a lot of them are more sort of psychological, emotional based. 
um, you know, if for many people, it, particularly if they have adult children, um, you know, their children might assume that this is a midlife crisis or that it's some sort of a phase and uh, that, you know, people are, they're going to regret the decision later on. Um, but really what comes across my desk, honestly, is, you know, people who have been living unhappily, unfortunately, for a very long time. Uh, some of them have just been waiting for the kids to uh, graduate from high school or university, move out of the house, become independent, uh, and then they want to make decisions for themselves and, and figure out what's right for them. Um, some people wait to um, have the financial wherewithal to, to make that decision and to, to be on their own. Um, so that, that goes into play as well. Uh, the second misconception is that there's an assumption that you're going to forfeit your retirement uh, if you divorce late in life. Um, I know I spoke before about dividing assets and there might not be as much money to go around. Um, but again, with some careful planning, um, it can definitely happen. And there's certainly not an expectation that a, a former spouse is going to have to continue working well beyond retirement in order to support another spouse. Uh, the courts generally recognize that people are allowed to retire. So um, that should Excellent. be something that is less of a consideration. Excellent. Excellent. If someone in our audience was looking at the possibility of divorce, what are some of the dispute uh, resolution methods available to them, kind of advantages and benefits of each? Yeah, um, there are many, many options. Um, when people think of divorce, they usually immediately think of court. Um, and that doesn't have to be the case whatsoever. Um, there, there are certain cases that probably do need to be litigated and probably do need to have a judge weigh in, um, but the vast majority don't. And so there are options available that take place outside of the court process. One of them is uh, collaborative family law. So that's something that I do. It's a method where both parties are represented by lawyers uh, and together the parties and the lawyers have a series of joint meetings to discuss and come to agreement on all of the issues that you know, are wrapped up in, in a separation. So both parties are getting their legal advice, but everyone has the same common goal of getting the matter settled without having to go to court. And the other great, uh, I guess, uh, focus of this method is that you can bring other professionals to the table uh, to negotiate with you, such as, you know, a, um, a social worker or a psychotherapist might be on hand to help deal with some of the emotional pieces. Your adult children might be involved and, and have to sort of work through that emotionally as well. You can hire a financial planner to come to the table and they would essentially be hired by both parties to try and come up with that sort of financial plan so that both parties are um, walking away on an even footing and everyone is comfortable for retirement. So there are a lot of options there. Another method that works is, uh, is mediation. Um, and it's a method whereby the couple who's separating meets with a neutral party um, who helps them discuss and work through all of the issues that need to be decided for the separation. Um, they're not giving legal advice, they're just being a sounding board, helping to challenge assumptions, blockages in communication, et cetera. So that's another method that works really well. 
I mean, really, you know, I would say that the mediation too, just get the, keep the ball rolling. is a lot mm-hmm. of what we do with our clients just in speaking about, you know, making a move, right? Not divorce, but just moving to a retirement home. It's like just keeping the ball going and keeping the conversation going. And when you were talking about each side having a lawyer to have this conversation be- before you talked about uh, mediation, mm-hmm. um, I also would find that valuable because then, you know, I could be talking with my ex and we could be thinking something was legal or something could do, you know, we could do something one way, but then we'd have the support of having a lawyer to be like, no, you can't do that. Or yes, you can't do that exactly. so that you don't go off too far off a track. Right. Yeah. Um, I'd find that really beneficial. Well, mm-hmm. uh, I have one more question for you before our time's up. We have a short time together, but could you give mm-hmm. the seniors and the adult children in our audience some prevention tips on what they could do to set themselves up for all-round uh, life success as it pertains to legal issues, maybe in their second or third marriage as well, like just general advice, I think, for prevention? Absolutely. Um, the number one general tip I would have, particularly, I think, for women who are going through this, is to do what you can to be financially self-sufficient. Um, be aware of the family finances. Um, as much as possible, have your own income stream. Have separate bank accounts. Um, hire a financial planner and sort of work with them um, and explain what your goals are for your retirement and consider how that would work if you didn't have a spouse or if you separated or if someone passed away. Um, In terms of more proactive planning at the beginning of a relationship, uh, it's really important to have or you can have a well-drafted cohabitation agreement or marriage contract. It's known as a prenuptial agreement in the States, um, but it's the same concept. Um, you can use it to protect your assets that you've accumulated in a prior relationship that you may not want to share with your spouse in the event of a separation. It's a, the way that you, what did you call it again? The, the pre what is it called again? The, uh, it's, it's a marriage contract, a cohabitation agreement, okay. a prenuptial. Yeah. So the cohabitation agreement sounds much more friendly than a prenup. Yes, <laughs> Everybody has prenup stuck in their head. So let's not, let's get rid of that word. Yeah, I agree. Well, oh dear. Tanya, we're already at the end of our time. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about great divorce and, and, and everything that surrounds it. I really appreciate uh, hearing your side. Thanks so much. Thank you. Up next on Artful Aging with Amy, we're going to be speaking with Elizabeth, who is a lead trainer in intergenerational mediation for the Ontario Association for Family Mediations. You don't want to miss this. If you're planning or trying, to, if you're a planner or trying to be one, Things You Should Know is a great place to start. Personal information, power of attorney info, and real estate is just a fraction of the information you can store in this fillable planner and record keeper. Download your free copy today at tntoast.ca forward slash medical dash planner to get started. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us again. Elizabeth Sterrett is here with us and she works with families to help them understand and diffuse conflict. The issues of aging within families may create conflict that calls upon the assistance of professionals who are to assist family members resolve their conflict and maintain their family ties. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here. 
I'm happy to have you. We were just speaking with Tanya about gray divorce. Now we're going to move a little bit further into mediation and elder mediation. Families seek out elder care mediation for many reasons, including care and living arrangements. Like I was saying before, I see it all the time. There's definitely a, a use and, um, and it's so helpful to have someone kind of being able to um, talk between parties. So everybody's on the same page as much as possible. So Elizabeth, what are some of the issues that you see come up regularly with families, especially those that have senior parents? Well, first of all, Amy, I think you've, um, you're, you're really correct in saying that it's very, very helpful to have a third party, that impartial person who can help people have um, communication that restores the relationship within the family. So we see all kinds of issues that come up. Uh, first one being family communication. People in the family who just can't, they can't talk to one another. So the um, the elder mediator or the intergenerational mediator is really good at helping people get back together in terms of their communication. Where, where will mom or dad reside? Um, some of the issues are, you know, the family members see that mom or dad or sometimes even an older sibling can no longer live on their own. And, and you know, what are they going to do about it? Uh, driving is a big issue. Um, at what point does mom or dad relinquish their driver's license? And often that creates a fair amount of conflict, as you might imagine. Um, mm -hmm. Medical decisions. Uh, are very important as well, as uh, as is the issue of advanced care planning. Uh, often a family needs the help of a mediator to assist them in preparing all kinds of plans uh, for their aging parents. Well, and with that communication as well, Elizabeth, you know, generally speaking, the communication didn't just stop because they're dealing with elder care issues, right? Often... Yes. This, the reason why it's so much more difficult is that families just don't communicate or they've kind of not necessarily been estranged from each other, but, you know, history happens yes. and things happen so that people, you know, it builds up. And so then when they have to get to a point where they have to communicate with each other, people forget how to do it. Wouldn't you agree? I, I really agree with that. I think, and as you say, it's often something from the past that bubbles up to the surface. And as you mentioned as well, it, it could very well come to a head with, you know, what are we going to, uh, what are we going to discuss? How are we going to talk about how to help mom and dad? And so, you know, the, often there's a crisis and then people have to talk. And yeah, that's what us. Right. Unfortunately, yeah, and, and I was saying before the break, too, is that, you know, we deal with lots of families because we help people find retirement living, but we're dealing in that those issues, too, and it's all of a sudden they have to talk because someone is a power of attorney and we need to make other decisions and, like, there may be cognitive issues and all sorts of stuff. So we're going to get into some of it today as well. Um, are there any particular signs or stages that can help families recognize that they may need some professional assistance? I think that's a really good question. And I think number one, probably the biggest issue that uh, arises for families is, you know, where what's happening with mom or dad? And some of the, the signs can be, um, you know, they might have a sizable family home. Are they able to look after it anymore? Um, check out their refrigerator. If there's not very much food in the refrigerator, it could mean that either mom or dad um, they're not eating very well anymore. Are they losing weight? Things like that. Paying bills. 
um, has something, has a telephone perhaps, uh, if they have a landline, has the telephone being cut off. So uh, one of the hardest things I think that, uh, that families have to look at is that issue of living at risk. Are either mom or dad living at risk? Um, I'll give you an example. Um, for an example, one of the issues that I've had to deal with is the neighbors noticing dad on the roof uh, late at night trying to repair some shingles. Uh, and it's it's very frightening uh, because of course there's the, the safety aspect. So that's the kind of thing that um, that we often get called in on, you know, how do we help with that? Um, another aspect is walking. A lot of people uh, really enjoy walking and sometimes they get lost in their own neighborhood. So that's a really good sign that there's something going on. Mm, a lot of people are, that, that I've come into contact with and that I coach through it are really worried about overstepping. A lot of the children of seniors that we're working with are really worried about overstepping, offending their parents, um, parenting their parents. And I, it's funny because before, again, when I was talking to Tanya, I, I was saying, I, I went to say mediation and I said meditation because I was focusing on not saying meditation because they look so similar right. and they sound so similar. And I think it's because, you know, people are focusing on how not to do that and how to, you know, use kid gloves and things like that. But then all of that energy transfers onto the loved one, right? And then they feel it and then they push back. Um, do you do you come into those kind of issues too, where people are just really worried about overstepping? Absolutely. And um, I, I like the way you described it because everybody's sort of stepping so gingerly around the issue. And so the whole aspect, I think, about having the impartial third party um, working with the family is that they're asking questions. And, and they're listening and they're being very respectful of what the older person or persons at the heart of the conversation really want. And so, um, as you say, I liked, I liked it when you said coaching, because part of the work of the mediator really is to coach the members of the family to be able to have a respectful conversation with their, with their aging parents. And so that's a key part of it, I think. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's, it's a very difficult hurdle to get over. After the break, we're going to talk about cognitive issues and cognitive decline. Like you said, you know, the, one of the signs may be that they're always take a walk, but now they can't find their way back. Right. And it's like, it's a really, really touchy subject, but I found since after COVID so many more people have cognitive decline now that are, that we're working with just in the general public because they were isolated for so long. And so now extra things start to come up from that. But let's talk about that after the break. After we get back, Elizabeth and I are going to discuss cognitive decline and often how it often throws a monkey wrench into the mix. So you're watching Artful Aging with Amy. We'll see you in a couple minutes. Are you watching us on YouTube but would rather listen to us in the car or on a walk? No problem. Artful Aging with Amy is also available as a podcast. Head over to artfulagingwithamy.com for the links. Welcome back. I hope you're able to get up and stretch and grab a tea or a coffee. I've worked with many families who have senior loved ones who have cognitive decline. These situations tend to be much harder for families to navigate because the person that they are trying to help often lacks the insight. So they can't understand why they need help and what the person's doing to help them. They just usually it's a lack of insight. 
So many families who have a loved one in this situation avoid conversations because they are scared of what they may learn or because they don't want an argument. Elizabeth, how can families limit potential conflict over care of their aging loved one? Do you have any tips for conversations with senior loved ones versus conversations between family members? Absolutely, and I think that uh, once again, by avoiding the conversation, this can escalate the conflict. And so um, often what we say as mediators is that, you know where you don't want to go? That means you should go there. Uh, lean in. <laughs> exactly, lean, lean in and, um, and start talking. And the communication, I think here is, is the key. And that is that asking a lot of questions, um, listening and listening and listening even more to hear what it is our aging parents want to say to us. Um, and so that's probably the best tip of, uh, you know, getting the conversation started, first of all, and secondly, really listening. And it's that radical presence that we offer to our aging uh, family members that tells them we're listening. We want to hear what you have to say. And that's important, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the, like one thing that I've become known for in my career is is that, you know, when I'm working with a senior and their children, my focus is on the senior. It's their life. They need to be in control of it. Yes, I, I know that the child is hearing what we're saying. I know that we're going to have a conversation as well. But, you know, for someone who is cognitive decline, I still do the same process, right? I still make sure that they get out what they need to say because eventually they usually come along or they usually lighten up the conversation and it's not as hard, right? So um, what about conversations between family members? Do you have any tips? Because there's a lot of family members that have been estranged, a lot of siblings who don't talk to each other and then they have to come together because they find out that they're both power of attorney or something and they have to make these decisions jointly. Do you have any tips for those family members? Right. That's that. And that's that's what often happens, isn't it? That they need to get together to make a decision about a critical a critical incident or an event that has occurred that absolutely needs a response. And so once again, um, you know, I think the key is to be thinking about de-escalating uh, any conflict that might be there. And so um, what what we do then tell me tell me about your day. Tell me about your week. Tell me what's happening asking these questions that are what we call open-ended questions that invite people to express what's going on and that way we can get them talking we can encourage them to to talk and then we can ask questions like well how are you managing with mom or dad's uh, issues because i know that you're looking after them and so with taking that extra step of um understanding what our sibling is going through because you know, they may be the ones looking after mom or dad. Um, and, the, and let's say that the, the, the sibling, and often what we find uh, in, in intergenerational mediation is that there is a, a type of stereotypical response. The females, the daughters t tend to look after the uh, care and the males tend to look after the finances. And so there again, there's a, you know, that division of, uh, of labor, you might say, how do we bring them together? And how do we um, help people to have a conversation possibly about caregiver burnout? So what's it like? What's it like when you're there all week with mom? Let's say it's a mom. Um, what do you need? How can I be helpful as opposed to what are you doing? 
So again, it's all of these things that are good tips, I think, for family members to be present, to really listen, and to ask, how's it? What's it like for you? What are you? What are you? How are you managing? I think a lot of a lot of the um, female caregivers that I talk to have often have a sibling afar or and usually it's male not it doesn't have to be but generally that's the most of what's happening um and they feel like they're always trying to do right by their parents and they feel like their sibling is judging them even though maybe or maybe not they hadn't said anything and so i think it's important for the siblings who are not the direct caregivers to understand that that their sibling has put a lot on hold, has adjusted their whole life to mm-hmm. care for their parents. And so just like you said, even just having a conversation to stay in the loop, but you know, as a sibling who's not caring for someone, you lead the conversation, you reach out because I'm telling you, those caregivers that are in the in the caregiving spot, they don't have 10 seconds to think about, oh, I should call this person and give them an update. I don't want to give anybody updates, right? And so I would say, you know, the people that are not in town or the people that aren't caregivers, make the extra effort just to keep up to date. Even if you don't get along, make yeah. the extra effort to understand what's happening with your parent, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the key things that I find too, Amy, is that asking that asking a question, you know, what do you need? How can I be helpful? Especially if I'm that caregiver, I mean, that sibling from afar and, uh, oh, I see you need. And then ask the question, what is your concern if this doesn't work? Yeah. So you flip it and find out like, what's the worst case scenario? If, if I can't come and relieve you for two weeks, What's your concern? And that way it kind of um, flushes out other options that uh, the siblings, let's say they're only two siblings, that they can work on together. Yeah, for sure. Well, and many seniors I help have a block when it comes to their children, assisting them in decisions that they believe that they still can make safely. Many conversations bring up the fact that the parents don't want to be parented, like I was saying. So how can mediation help seniors feel less of a sense of loss without them feeling that all their decision-making is irrelevant. I think that's one of the most important things because with mediation, uh, I'm sure that Tanya would have talked about, uh, you know, what's at the heart of mediation. If it's um, separation and divorce, it's the children. Who's going to look after the children? In terms of elder mediation or what we're calling intergenerational mediation now, at the center of the mediation are the needs of the parents are the needs of the older the older person and so the mediator really needs to be upfront with that and helping the siblings the adult children to understand that mom or dad like they're still your mom they're still your dad and they need to have that respect uh, to um, really to be able to make decisions uh, however those decisions might pan out you know yeah, for sure. I see a lot of adult children try to mow over their parents more, you know, for lack of better phrasing that, you know, just decision make without even having a conversation, regardless of cognitive decline or whatnot. And I just feel like that's not the way forward. Right. If you want everybody on the same page, open the communication. So, Elizabeth, let's talk more about this after the break. You're, you're watching Artful Aging with Amy here on Bold Brave TV. We will see you in just a couple of minutes. Artful Aging with Amy is currently looking for guests and show ideas for our next season. Drop us a line at hello at artfulagingwithamy.com and let us know what you would like to learn about in our upcoming season. 
Welcome back to Artful Aging with Amy. Elizabeth is joining us and we're talking about mediation and elder care. And Elizabeth, I love calling it intergenerational mediation, like you were calling it as well. I think that that is is much better, it's a much better terminology for it because it's not just the seniors that are mediating, right? So um, as many of my viewers know, I'm all about being proactive and prepared. Elizabeth and I were talking on the break, basically every one of my guests is as well. So I hope nobody's getting too sick of hearing that, but I really can't stress it enough. And I know that Elizabeth also agrees. There are so many situations happening with our loved ones that if brought to light and discussed could actually be improved or at least the potential damage could be slowed down. Elizabeth, even though these conversations are super difficult and no one is is faulting that, they are super hard conversations, whether you're getting along with someone or not, or having conversations regularly or not, they're always difficult. So why is it better to have a conversation now instead of sticking your hand in the sand and hoping things just work out for themselves? <laughs> right, right. Having those conversations now is is just absolutely vital because, you know, as you move, as we all move forward in the aging process, the last thing our parents uh, and older persons want to see is their adult children fighting in front of them. And so the more the family can have these challenging conversations, the more the family can be ready for what what lies ahead. And so um, I think that it's vital to help uh, our uh, older parents. It helps them resolve issues. And the peripheral resolution of issues is there for the adult children. And so that's really interesting, I think. Um, And I also think that um, one really important thing is that When we do this kind of work, as you say, Amy, of being well prepared, what it does, it teaches the younger generation in the extended family how to do this work themselves. And um, I think that's I think that's a really important lesson that we as members of an extended family can offer to to younger people. Uh, And it's very important, I think. Be prepared. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of us who have children are younger as many know that I have a four-year-old everything I do in her life is try to be make her better prepared than I was I was prepared enough but there's definitely holes so how do I make her better prepared and this is one of the things is teaching people how to have a conversation and not leaving things for crisis you and I were talking about uh, driving on the break. I know that you've had uh, a lot of different um, mediations and conversations around driving. Can you tell us more about kind of what comes up generally? Because there's a lot of people that ha- you know yes. lose their license or in the process or don't want to lose it, and there's a lot of talk around it. Right, and that's um, it's such an important issue, especially I think driving is is often regarded as a rite of passage, isn't it? You know, remember when you were. 16 or 18 and you got your license or I remember what it was like when I got mine and it was just so special. And so when we think of our aging parents, uh, older persons in the community, that's their lifeline. That's their way to get out of the home, uh, out of isolation, uh, certainly with, with COVID the way it was, and and get out to uh, to see people now as the restrictions are, are being loosened. And so driving uh, having that conversation about driving is is essential to the well-being of, of family members. And so I have an example of a client who was in a he was unfortunately in a in a rollover uh, accident and he totaled his car. He was in the car alone with his dog. Dog was fine. He was fine. But the car was totaled. 
as a result of the police investigation, there were no no problems. It just, you know, mishandled the curve. He lost his license. And so it went to his physician and his provider by law had to take his license away. My tip here is if you sense that this is coming, it's much better to have the provider remove the license than for a family member to do it because it just removes that discussion from the family member. So back to my, my example with a, client, a former client, uh, because he had lost his license, um, he was then about four to six months later diagnosed with frontotemporal um, uh, dementia. And so then began the onward uh, demand, I want my license back, I want my license back. And so it's that sense of loss that is so vital for family members to understand. This is a lifeline that has been lost. Some good tips, be creative, have a conversation uh, with, this, with this member of the family, provide things like um, taxi chits or Uber, you know, a, a gift of a birthday gift or something. Uh, give them these things so that they can continue to get out as safely as they possibly can. For sure. Yeah. Don't just leave them stranded there. And then all they're doing is kind of sitting there and realizing they can't go. Right. Um, the other thing that comes up with the driving aspect is on the other side. It's, you know, if the driving needs to stop because there's a problem, fine, yes. take right. care of it. But then who's going to do the stuff. Right. And so exactly. it's also not just taking away the license saying, sorry, dad, you can't drive anymore. Right. You have to kind of come to and be like, we, we can't do this because this is the reason, but then here is how we're going to set your life up a little bit more if you agree so that you don't miss out. Like Susan's going to drive you to X and I'm going to do groceries and why, you know, whatever it is and, and lay out a plan. Don't just leave your senior loved one kind of flopping in the wind, trying to figure out how everything's going to be done because that's going to be a worry. They used to be able just to do this all on their own because they had the freedom to come and go. And now you're saying they can't have that freedom. And obviously it's for good reason for whatever reason it is, then, you know, come to them with a plan as opposed to just be like, sorry, but your luck, right? Like make sure that, yeah. Yeah. And you, you've hit upon two things I think that are really essential, Amy. Number one is the safety angle for the older person himself or herself, and also safety of the greater public. Um, the last thing a family wants as well is for an accident to occur uh, and have someone else hurt, maimed, whatever. And so it's that creativity that makes the difference, I think. And the, the plan, having that plan in place. And it also, if we can creatively connect an older person with other members of the community to drive around, how much better is that? It, it's not leaving the person stranded or isolated. It's making con new connections for them to, to continue to get on with their life. For sure. Well, Elizabeth, our time has come to an end. Can you tell our audience how they would reach you? Um, I know that you have information for U.S. and for Ontario. Yes, thanks for that, Amy. So they could reach me at the Ontario Association for Family Mediation. And there's a toll-free number, 1-844-989-3026. And for our, your American viewers, uh, I would really highly recommend Elder Decisions. They work out of Norwood, Massachusetts, and um, they can be reached at 
Terrific. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Elizabeth. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Amy. Uh, Amy, it was just a pleasure. Thank you very much. Terrific. Well, after the break, I'm going to share my top two situations I encounter with our tea and toast families. You don't want to miss it. Hopefully it will help you as well. We'll see you soon. Welcome back. I have a lot of conversations with families and seniors, and there are many circumstances that families are dealing with that are similar from one family to another. So I thought that it would be helpful to wrap up our show to share with you two of these types of situations so that you can see that not only you're not alone, but you also might find it very helpful and might get some tips from them. So the top family conversations I have with tea and toast families, number one is around cognition, not wanting to address the potential diagnosis and wanting everything to stay the same. Situations like this often cause families to grieve the life that they thought they, that they had or that they wanted for the future. Most people don't want to let go of that, but just because you may have to adjust your future plans does not mean that everything needs to change. Informing yourself early will not only set your loved one up for success, but it will allow you to rejig plans in a more cognitive friendly manner. Many people don't address the cognitive issues. They wait, they wait, they wait, and it really gets them into a pickle. So an example of an alternative that has often uh, have has often been a spouse wanting to know the information out of fear. So sorry, the example is that the spouse doesn't want the information because they're scared of what the information is and they want to carry on as their, with their plans as usual. Most often that does not end well. It ends in crisis a lot of the times, and it's usually way worse than if they would have just been proactive, understood what's going on, and address it. Some of our clients have experienced these crises while traveling as well, and that added stress of getting their spouse home really does a number. So don't underestimate the stress that will be on your shoulders if you're not being proactive. It's not just a matter of my spouse might have dementia, I don't want to know, and I don't want to be proactive. The longer that you sit with it, the more stress it will add to your own life. So keep that in mind. The second conversation uh, one other situation that we happen uh, that happens quite a lot is a senior who requires more care and attention than can be provided in the home, but they're refusing to make a move to another setting. This this happens for a number of reasons, and it's very difficult on their caregivers, even when they don't think that they need someone to care for them. These situations in particular are really need some extra assistance from a professional. Oftentimes, I can say something that a family is also saying, but I say it slightly different, which opens up a whole dialogue and unsticks the process. So, you know, having a professional come in and say similar, but it's coming from a professional's point of view, a family point of view, often family is just too close. And that's one of the reasons to bring in a professional, as well as many other we've already listed today. So I hope that you have found this week's show helpful and that you will make efforts in your life to put things in place now instead of dealing with it in a crisis. On next week's show, my guest Tara and I will discuss myofacial release, what it is and how it can help. You don't want to miss it. If you've enjoyed today's show, please take a minute and share our show and like it so other families can find our material and you can be helping our whole community. Thanks so much for joining us on Artful Aging with Amy. From me to all of you, I hope that you have a wonderful Wednesday. You've been listening to Artful Aging with host Amy. Many folks just like you feel they're alone in their journey in helping a loved one or caregiver. 
So tune in each week and let Amy show you that help is around the corner and is just one conversation away here on Artful Aging.